Welcome to the Restaurant Relevance Podcast, where the goal is to glean operational tactics for restaurant operators from data-driven research, possibly nerding out along the way. I'm Nathan Jarvis. Welcome to those of you who are tuning in. Before we dive into the show, here are the highlights and key takeaways. One, focus more on the emotional side uh, rather than the logical side when you're appealing to people. Two, possibly redesign your menu to limit cold, raw, uncooked menu items. Three, there's definitely an opportunity to consider in-house delivery, which is uh, something that restaurants have been talking about the whole, uh, whole past year. And four, as an industry, we really need, or the restaurant industry really needs to work to improve messaging about the safety of food in, in restaurants. In this episode, we're featuring research published in the International Journal of Hospitality Management entitled Restaurants and COVID-19. What are consumers' risk perceptions about restaurant food and its packaging during the pandemic? I'm excited to have our guests on the podcast today because how consumers reacted to the pandemic as expressed their food purchase decisions is something which really impacted the hospitality industry in a huge way over the past year. Uh, obviously, we all hope that uh, this will never happen again in the future, uh, but it's uh, something that's important to, to think about and I'm curious to learn more. So let's jump right in. Uh, we're fortunate to have the lead author of the uh, paper on the podcast today. Dr. Karen Bird is a registered dietitian and an assistant professor in the School of Hospitality and Tourism Management at Purdue University, where she also received her PhD in Hospitality and Tourism Management in uh, May of 2017. Prior to her transition to academia, uh, Dr. Bird's industry experience was primarily in healthcare and senior living. Most recently, she was the Senior Director of Food and Nutrition Services for Kindred Healthcare, which is a national multi-facility hospital and skilled nursing center organization. In that role, she was responsible for strategic planning and oversight of food service and medical nutrition therapy for over 200 facilities, menu development and nutritional analysis, and contract negotiation and execution for a 50-plus million dollar food service supply budget. Dr. Bird's research area is concentrated on consumer health and well-being issues related to food consumed in restaurants and on-site food services. She focuses on nutrition and food safety related to consumer behavior, menu planning, and food preparation. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you for that introduction, and thank you for having me on the podcast today. So I do want to um, also acknowledge the co-authors on the study, um, Dr. Unsul Her, Dr. Eileen Fan, Dr. Barbara Armanza, our PhD student who is our data guru, Yuren Liu, and Stephen Leach. And I also want to thank Purdue University College of Health and Human Sciences for their COVID-19 rapid response grant that made this study possible. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Um, I appreciate you uh, spending the time. So I always like to start at kind of a 30,000 foot viewpoint. Uh, so in two sentences, could you explain uh, what your study was about and what you found? Sure, sure. So our study explored consumers' COVID-19 risk perceptions about food. In other words, we examined the question of did consumers believe that they could get COVID-19 from food or food packaging? And we found that risk perceptions varied quite a bit based on different factors related to the food itself, as well as related to demographics and COVID-19 situational factors. Okay, all right. And uh, so it looks like in reading your study, you kind of split it into two parts. The first part was focused on, well, are consumers concerned about the risk of eating 
COVID-19 from food in general, from restaurant food or food packaging. And then second, you followed up with were there different consumer groups that had different perceptions of risk uh, of restaurant food safety. Is that right? Yes, yes. So in the first part of the study, like you said, we kind of focused on more of the food perspective. And we looked at it from four kind of different situational factors. One factor was comparison of, you know, perceptions related to restaurant foods versus food from any source, just, you know, like getting it from the grocery or, or anywhere at all. We also looked at types of restaurant food and focused on a hot food or cooked food versus raw or uncooked food. And then thirdly, we looked at the method of ways consumers could get restaurant food, like you can go to the restaurant, and get food, which was kind of hard at that point in time when we did our study, which was in early May, versus getting takeout or delivery. And then we also looked at restaurant food packaging and looked at how consumers' perceptions are different or the same related to those different situational factors. Now, granted, at this time, um, the CDC had indicated that there you couldn't get COVID from food. It was not; it was a respiratory disease, and you could not contract the the COVID virus from food. So, theoretically, the perception should have been the same in all those different situations. But our findings were that they were different. The consumers perceived, uh, for instance, um, you know, restaurant food to be riskier in terms of getting COVID versus getting food from other sources. They perceived that consuming raw, cold, uncooked food was riskier than eating hot cooked food. And they perceived that, um, that getting food from a third party delivery service was riskier from getting COVID from the food than takeout or getting food delivered by a restaurant worker. And lastly, they perceived that um, you know, the, the packaging was also a source of potential risk for them as well. Interesting. Yeah. So we'll definitely get into some of those individual findings. Uh, and, and there were a couple of things that really surprised me in, in your data, which probably surprised you uh, mm -hmm. as well. But uh, obviously, the point of this podcast is to apply your findings. Uh, but as researchers, we care about the theory side as well. Uh, and so I'm curious, you framed your research through the lenses of knowledge, availability, heuristics, and trust. Uh, can you provide a little bit of a background? Why did you choose those three categories and how did that really help you frame your research here? So most decisions that we make as humans and most judgments we make, they're really based on intuition. That's the majority of the way we make a decision. We're making right. a quick, quick decision, quick judgment, and it's based on our intuition. And that's especially true related to assessing risk. And there's lots of factors that influence our intuition. But we um, kind of looked at three particular factors that were most relevant to our study. Most the three factors that influenced trust that were most relevant to our study. And those were knowledge, heuristics, and trust. Now, starting with knowledge. So more knowledge has been associated with a more accurate understanding of food risk perception. However, you know, early on that early on in the pandemic, knowledge was, you know, pretty limited. We didn't really know a lot about the virus. We didn't know a lot about how it was contracted, how it was spread, treatments. We were just a lot of unknowns at that time. So knowledge was a little sketchy at the very beginning. But as I said, you know, the CDC did post on their website that about the transmission of food of, of the virus via food. 
but the way they phrased it was like this and I'll, I'll say it specifically so i get the an exact wording and um it says there is currently and i put currently in quotes because that's a that's a key word there in that phrase that there is currently no evidence to support transmission of COVID 19 is associated with food but that word currently that's an ambiguous word, right? That it means, okay, we, right now, that's what we think, but we're not really maybe 100% sure. So there's some amb right. ambiguity there. And that ambiguity can influence the consumer purchasing decision. And similarly with uh, related to food packaging, um, the, the, they also said COVID transmission via surfaces was believed that the surfaces was not the main way the virus was spread. So again, some ambiguity in there in that knowledge. And that's kind of leads us into the next um, thing that can affect intuition, that's heuristics. And heuristics is a mental shortcut that we as humans often use in decision-making. We use those heuristics sometimes when there's just way too much information. We're just overwhelmed by the information and it's hard to kind of sift through it all. And then other times we use heuristics when there's really not enough information or the information is ambiguous, which was kind of the situation we're in with COVID. Gotcha. So um, the type of heuristic that we talked about in the paper was what was called availability heuristics. And this describes the process of using similar examples or events or information to make judgments. Now, unfortunately, using heuristics can sometimes lead to misperceptions or incorrect judgments, which is kind of what we saw in our results. So we, we, we think that that played a role in um, some of the perceptions about of the consumer about food safety. And we, we, we looked at kind of uh, three things that may have been heuristics at that time related to food safety. And one of them was that the initial COVID-19 spread was associated with a food marketplace. So again, that kind of heuristic connection there that consumers may have connected COVID-19 with food. So they, they maybe had a perception about the, the safety of the food. Uh, the next thing that was kind of happening was that restaurants were closing, right? The in-restaurant right. experience was basically shut down. So again, that heuristic or that clue could have led consumers to associate restaurant food as being riskier than food from other sources. We didn't shut down the grocery stores. We shut down the restaurants. Yeah. So it could have been a clue yeah. to them. And then the other thing is um, the GI symptoms that were considered hallmark of COVID-19, they mirror common symptoms or GI symptoms of norovirus. Right. So the word virus and GI symptoms and, you know, pretty well known that norovirus is a foodborne illness. Again, all those clues could have led consumers to use kind of those heuristics to, to bias their judgments about the risk of getting COVID from food. And then um, the last factor we kind of looked at here in that framing was trust. And that trust can also influence consumer judgments when they're making decisions about food or other things. But when it comes to food safety, um, the main kinds of trust that consumers are considering are government trust or regulatory agency trust, as well as the source of the food. So from a government regulatory agency perspective, it's the FDA and the CDC, that's kind of our food regulatory agencies, obviously, in the U.S. Right. So generally, um, prior research has shown that if the consumers trust the government regulatory agencies, then they're less concerned about food safety. So they believe that okay. those regulatory agencies are taking care of things. We're not, we don't need to be concerned. However, the ambiguous nature of what the CDC was saying 
kind of may have diminished some of that trust in that agency, as well as maybe some other things that were going on at the time might have diminished some trust as well. Yeah. That's for another story. (laughs) (laughs) And then the other trust issue is just the trust of the source of the food. So again, prior research has shown that consumers generally trust food that they prepare themselves versus food that's prepared in a restaurant. So those two trust factors, again, could have, um, could influence consumer perceptions related to food safety risk in COVID. Interesting. Okay. So heuristics really sound like a, uh, you know, kind of a mental shortcut in a way that, oh, well, this is similar to a situation or it makes me, reminds me of, of a situation that I think is similar enough that I can use past experience to make a decision on. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not something we do consciously. It's kind of a subconscious thing that's going on that we're just making those mental connections rapidly with our intuition and and using those heuristic clues to to then make a judgment about another situation. Right. And then I was also thinking as you were talking uh, in about the language that was used uh, by the CDC, um, you know, language that is kind of ambiguous. I totally get how that could influence a consumer to be uh, more wary uh, or, you know, or, or to wonder, well, if, if they're being cautious, should I be cautious as well? Right. Uh, and yet as an academic, I can also say, well, if we don't know something, we, we almost have to put that language in there because we don't know. We're, we're, we're trying to provide the best information as possible. And so you almost, uh, it's almost a catch 22. Right. Where, where you're, you're, uh, Either option isn't necessarily a good option in in communicating there. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. The CDC wants to be cautious because they don't want to, you know, put something out there and then have it have to reverse, which they had to do a a few times throughout this pandemic anyway. But yeah, caution definitely is, um, you know, something that governmental agencies usually do because they, uh, they, they don't want to say something that they later have to take back. Right. Uh, as untrue. So it is a it is definitely a catch-22 in terms of the language that's used. Yeah, and, and presumably, I mean, people's opinions could have uh, changed uh, since then. So I, I guess that's a caveat as we're talking about this. Um, this, your study is a little bit different than some of the research I, I've, uh, you know, highlight in other episodes where it's very uh, maybe time and context sensitive Um, at least that's the way it would seem to me. I still think it's super valuable. I'm glad to have you on. Uh, but I think that's important to note here, uh, for operators is that obviously this is a snapshot of one part of the pandemic there. Exactly. That's very true. Yeah. Awesome. So I want to jump into your results. Uh, I have a couple of, not a couple, I have a whole list of, uh, interesting things that stood out to me. Uh, so I just want to jump in and by all means, throw in other things that you you thought, thought were fascinating. Uh, so the first thing that really jumped out at me was about twice as many people were concerned about getting COVID from restaurant food rather than food in general, right? And that was one of the primary things you were looking at. Well, are people concerned about restaurant food over oh, gen, uh, food in general? The answer is yes, two times as many people. So why? Uh, any ideas? Why were people more concerned about restaurant food? than just food in general? So we think that um, possibly it was related to those heuristics, basically, kind of, um, you know, again, those different, those different mental shortcuts and clues 
kind of leading people to believe that there was a risk from restaurant food versus um, just food in general. So those closures in the restaurant basically may have been assigned to consumers that the safety of restaurant food was different or it was a higher risk okay. than, um, than food from any other source, as well as those trust issues. So again, prior research has shown that consumers trust themselves more than they trust a restaurant in terms of food right. safety. So that might have come into play as well, that they felt that their handling of the food um, presented less risk in terms of, you know, getting COVID from food, which again, you can't get, but anyway, right. uh, rather than an infected, uh, possibly an infected um, restaurant worker transmitting right. the COVID. Yep. Okay. Um, all right. So uh, that's pretty straightforward. Uh, it's not probably the result we want because as, as operators, right, we we believe we're doing everything possible to keep the food safe. And the science has showed you can't get COVID from eating food. But uh, that was expected, um, I think. I was really surprised, though, that one of your findings out of this was that the more concerned people were with having enough money to buy food, the more worried they were about getting COVID from the food. So there was some relationship uh, between do I have enough money to, to pay for food, to buy food? And I'm concerned about getting COVID from food. Can you talk to me about that? I mean, that seemed to have come out of nowhere. Right. Yeah, we were actually pretty surprised about that finding as well. And we kind of, um, even putting that demographic factor in, was kind of uh, COVID-related, you know, kind of thing in terms of looking at food insecurity. Because that's a food insecurity issue, right? Not having enough right. money to buy food. So it's more than just having enough, you know, it's more that, I'm sorry, it's different than looking at people's income. It's a, it's a, again, a food insecurity issue. Yeah. And uh, again, we, we were surprised too. And I don't know that we totally figured out what this was about. Um, but we think that, or we postulate or hypothesize that maybe it's associated with what's called self-enhancement theory. And that theory suggests that people want to see themselves in a positive manner. So in our study, consumers concerned about their food finances um, they possibly subconsciously prefer to think of restaurant food, which is more expensive, as riskier than other food sources. And that, this would allow those consumers to kind of preserve that self-image in that they, the safer choice is the non-restaurant food choice. Now, again, this was a hypothesis. We don't really yeah. know for sure. Um, so it's something that definitely needs further study to dig into. And interestingly, in the food safety literature, there isn't any studies that did look that that looks at food insecurity as a as a factor. So it'd be interesting just to see, you know, outside the scope of COVID or in the outside the context of COVID, if food insecurity does play a fact is a factor. I'm sorry, in uh, food safety risk perceptions in general for consumers. All right. Uh, and then you also went on uh, in breaking down the demographics of your uh, your participants. Uh, you found both that uh, females and those in higher risk groups were more concerned about the safety of food. Um, talk to me about that. Is that something that we see in literature uh, previous to COVID? So does that fall in line or was that kind of a surprise? Yeah, for the gender differences, that definitely falls in line with prior research related to food okay. um, safety. Generally, females are have greater concern about food safety than men. Um, and this concern is believed to be rooted in what's known as social theory of gender, which suggests that the traditional societal role of women as the nurturer, the caregiver, 
that that in and of itself results in them having greater concerns about health and safety risks. So gotcha. it's not even about uh, food safety. It's really about health and safety in general. Women right. uh, or females just are more concerned, have greater concerns than, than men do. Right. Um, and then as terms of high risk for contracting COVID-19, we really weren't surprised with that because um, those individuals are likely more fearful of contracting the virus. And prior right. research shows that um, that fear is going to lead to, um, you know, more conservative actions as well as it's going to lead to more misperceptions. So in basically that's what we found is a misperception. And so that fear of that high risk group might have led to some of those misperceptions. Okay. All right. And, and and that makes sense, right? If you know that you're at a higher risk for contracting something, regardless of whether that's COVID or heart disease or something else, um, it, it would make sense that you'd have a higher likelihood of being concerned about the likelihood that you could get that. So that makes right. intuitive sense to me. Um, also interesting, and I guess uh, particularly in the past uh, few weeks, uh, another win uh, for restaurants and self-delivery is that you found that consumers seem to trust restaurant delivery more than third-party delivery. Right. Yeah. So that was an interesting finding as well that um, so consumers apparently trust that restaurant worker to bring them their food more than they trust that third party deliverer um, for, you know, working for a DoorDash or Grubhub or whatever. And, you know, more studies really need to be done in this area, too, to really understand that finding. However, um, consumers may perceive the restaurant worker to be more knowledgeable or more astute in terms of the food right. handling than just, you know, some random person bringing their food to them who maybe is an Uber driver on the side too, who knows? But, um, you know, it, it's not that they have necessarily any experience in terms of, of actual food handling in a restaurant. So that perception uh, in terms of the safety may be related to that. And I, like you said, I think it's um, valuable uh, for the restaurant, restaurant industry in terms of, you know, at the very beginning of the pandemic, a lot of restaurateurs just had, didn't have a lot of choices. So they did go yeah. to those third-party delivery services. And a lot of people, a lot of, um, of operations have decided to try to do in restaurant instead just because of the financial issue, which you kind of mentioned. But this right. is just another reason why a restaurateur may want to bring delivery in-house just because of that trust factor with the consumers. Interesting. And obviously some more research or a lot more research would be warranted. But I mean, to me, there's a, maybe a little um, a nugget there with regards to could that principle apply to other things, right? Just food safety in general would, uh, you know, would guests prefer or, or trust the restaurant more than third party um, or, or other aspects that relate to, to trust. So uh, I would love to see some, some research there. I think that yeah, would be yeah. interesting. Yep. Actually, I'm working on something right now related to oh, yeah? just even the knowledge of the knowledge, uh, attitudes and practices related to, um, you know, employed restaurant delivery people versus the third party delivery service. You know, are those workers different in terms of what they know about food right. safety, for example? Yeah. I, I'm just going to go off out on a limb and say yes. Uh, that, would be so my, that would be my intuitive guess. <laughs> right, here. Right, uh, right, right. Well, interesting. Um, well, then I look forward to uh, seeing that. Uh, have you collected your data yet? Or are you still in the no, planning phase there? Still in the planning phase on that one. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. All right. Well, we'll have to wait a couple of months, but I want to hear how that, yeah. that turns out for sure. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. So 
Obviously, this, your research here is a little different than the research I typically showcase on the show. One, because we hope to never again pray, never to again be in a pandemic type situation. Although, you know, obviously, I have to recognize that different parts of the country and the world um, would still very much be in the pandemic, depending on where you are. We have uh, different variants that have come out, and um, you know, municipalities and governments are reconsidering uh, the way they're going to respond. But still, I think we could all say we hope and pray we don't end up back where we were a year ago, um, which too leads to the fact that these are unique, unique circumstances. Um, and, and so trying to craft recommendations from your research uh, to restaurants now or in the future is a little more, uh, I'll say, tricky uh, than, mm-hmm. you know, just some of the other researches, research that is out there. But that being said, you do discuss a number of recommendations for both restaurateurs uh, and the restaurant industry. Um, you know, towards the end of the paper, kind of as a reflection of, well, here are some thoughts moving forward. So would you mind uh, talking about some of those um, for, again, for restaurateurs and the, the industry? Sure. So um, we made some, uh, or we indicated some practical implications from three perspectives, one being communication and next being operational and then from crisis managed planning. And so for communication, we suggested that a focus um or that focused messaging needed to be developed to diminish that ambiguity. And as you said, you know, maybe not quite as big a concern right now in the U.S., but other countries, it could be such that their messaging may be, um, and, and obviously we know more now too. So right. clear messaging related to the, the safety of food and that you can't get COVID from food would be valuable. And the industry maybe, actually early on, maybe could have come out a little stronger and the messaging as well related to the safety of the food itself, because even though in restaurant dining was closed, um, that, you know, their bread and butter now became the takeout and delivery service. So kind of messaging more strongly about, you know, we're still making it in the same restaurant, even so if you believe that the restaurant food is safe, then you should believe that the delivery and the takeout food is just as safe. If you believe the rest of the grocery store food is safe too, theoretically, you should believe that everything is safe. So just kind of being a stronger there in the forefront probably may have helped a little bit too in terms of uh, food sales for the industry. Um, the other thing we suggested was from a menu engineering perspective in terms of um, you know taking a look at that raw, cold, and uncooked food because consumers right. perceive that to be a bigger risk. And that's true of food safety in general. Um, that's right. considered a higher risk by most consumers. And we did obviously see throughout this pandemic um, restaurateurs re-examining their menu and doing some menu re-engineering. But again, it might be something that um, as it becomes more prevalent, the virus becomes more prevalent in some other countries um, that previously had a lower rate, that's things they maybe want to go ahead and, and, you know, jump on right now. Um, From a delivery, kind of already mentioned that in terms of, um, you know, operators, this just gives operators another reason to kind of bring delivery in-house in terms of the consumer perceives that restaurant worker to be a a safer source of getting their food delivered rather than that third party deliverer. And um, then the last area we kind of talked about was crisis management. So yeah, we obviously don't want to be in this situation again. However, the WHO, the World Health Organization is saying that, you know, this is probably not going to be the last one. So hopefully we won't, you know, have uh, as much angst and as many issues as we had as this one. And hopefully we've learned things through this one that if the next one comes, we can manage through it better. And so hopefully our findings will help 
uh, restaurateurs and in, in the industry update um, crisis management plans to kind of reflect some of these food safety perceptions that consumers had so they can do a better job of addressing those from the very beginning and not have such a devastating impact on the industry. Awesome. And uh, you also make note that in communication, uh, either from restaurant operators to their guests or even just the industry to to uh, potential guests, uh, you talk about using emotional appeals uh, in your messaging rather than logical appeals. Uh, can you just elaborate on that a little bit? Because I think it's something that uh, some, in fact, maybe many operators may know intuitively, but I think it's helpful to explicitly talk about why the emotional side versus the logical side is, is so helpful here. Sure. So um, rational or logical appeals, they, you know, focus on facts and objective information and emotional appeals. They focus on more subjective factors and they try to connect um, consumers with consumers based on feelings, on your feelings. Right. And um, emotional appeals have been shown to have actually a greater influence on consumers in times of crisis, as well as in health communication. So they're really valuable, especially at kind of this time where there's kind of health or safety issue going on. And it could be uh, relevant in future, uh, in general, out of the COVID context, because again, food safety is a, is a health risk, obviously. Yeah. So related to our study, um, the restaurant messaging, maybe that's highlighting that we're kind of all in this together, that we have a sense of community, kind of appeals to people's emotions. And also things um, about just, um, you know, playing on the fact that the restaurant industry is the second largest private sector employer in the U.S. So probably everybody knows somebody working in the restaurant yeah. industry in some capacity. So maybe saying, you know, by getting restaurant food, you're helping your neighbor, you're helping your friend, you're helping your friend's kid, or you're helping your relative. That, again, that, that creates that emotional connection that could possibly help uh, overcome some of the misperceptions about food safety. Um, that is that the emotional response of fear may be replaced with the emotional response to help other people. Gotcha. And that may have kind of waylaid those fears a little bit, those risk, um, those risk perceptions. Cool. All right. Awesome. That makes sense. All right. So uh, I always like to ask uh, my researchers this towards the end. If you were the owner of a restaurant or a restaurant manager, what would you be doing today with the findings of this research? Um, well, I'd pretty much be doing kind of what I just mentioned, I guess. Yeah. I'd be reevaluating my messaging um, and how I'm communicating to my consumers, as well as looking at my menu. And um, at this point, again, uh, really, you know, possibly there is less concern about the food safety risk at this point in time. But uh, if, definitely if I have international locations where, um, COVID is on the rise and it hadn't been in the past, I'd definitely right. be looking at um, maybe doing some re-engineering related to uh, removing or reducing the amount of cold, uncooked raw food. And then lastly, I'd definitely be looking at my crisis management plan and taking a look at that and updating updates and changes so I'll be better prepared for the next pandemic. Awesome. All right. So we already know a little bit of what you're working on now because you said you're, you're studying or uh, we'll soon be studying the the difference in uh, food safety knowledge between delivery drivers and restaurant workers. Uh, anything else you're working on kind of related to this topic that you can sure. talk about? Yes, absolutely. So our, the, uh, our team actually is working on, this is actually just one piece of, the, of a multi-phase study 
that our team has been working on with the grant that we received. So this was the first step in our COVID-related research, um, restaurant research. And the, the bulk of the research that we are doing really is related to looking at cognitive factors that influence the consumer's intention to get restaurant food, whether it be okay. takeout or dining in a restaurant. So some of the factors that we're looking at are consumers' perceived vulnerability to COVID, their perceived severity of the disease, if they would get COVID, and how that influences their restaurant patronage decisions. And um, so we've been collecting data, actually, um, we've collected data six times so far throughout the pandemic. So eventually we'll have, we'll publish a multi-phase study to kind of show how consumers have have changed throughout the pandemic, or if they have changed at all as well as their cognitive perceptions related to, um, you know, and these different factors. And we're, we're using what's called the protection motivation theory. So that looks at threat appraisal, which is perceived severity and perceived vulnerability, as well as coping appraisal, which includes self-efficacy, response efficacy, and response cost. Um, and then also kind of um, toward it, right, what we're doing right now, actually in a couple of weeks, we're going to launch another version of this study in terms of uh, making it international. So we're going to be collecting data from a couple other countries that have um, slightly different experiences with uh, not only the shutdown in terms of what they've experienced from restaurant perspective, but also their COVID experience in terms of um, the spread of the virus, um, vaccine vaccine status, things like that. Um, So we'll be looking at it from an international perspective, which we think is really helpful in the sense that, you know, a lot of restaurant chains are international, obviously. Absolutely. So it makes a, it hopefully will provide some insights for those international companies. Awesome. All right. So to recap uh, some operational recommendations, uh, one focus more on the emotional side uh, rather than the logical side when you're appealing to people Uh, Two, possibly redesign your menu to limit cold, raw, uncooked menu items. Uh, Three, there's definitely an opportunity to consider in-house delivery, which is uh, something that restaurants have been talking about the whole whole past year. And four, as an industry, uh, we really need, or the restaurant industry really needs to work to improve messaging about the safety of food in in restaurants. Yes, I I agree. Awesome. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much uh, for taking the time to be on the show with me today. I really appreciate it. Sure. I appreciate it too. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. And thank you for tuning in to today's show. If you have questions or comments, please email me at nathan at restaurantrelevance.com. Ciao.